On a clear, sunny day in early September, my sister Kathy and I took a ferry out of Rockland, Maine and headed to the island of North Haven, about an hour's ride. It was just after Labor Day, so many of the summer people and tourists had left, leaving behind about 355 year-round residents. That number is according to the last census done in 2010. Our destination was Southern Harbor House, an extended care facility that opened earlier this year, the first and only of its kind on the island. Lindsay Beveridge, the administrator, left a car for us at the island ferry terminal with the keys in it. The house was easy to find. It's a small island after all. We were not prepared for what we saw when we arrived, a beautiful historic home surrounded by views of the harbor. It had once belonged to Mary White, who donated it so that other islanders would have a safe place to live if they needed some extra help as they aged or could no longer live on their own. The alternative for too many older people in those situations had been to move to a facility on the mainland. A shock in so many ways for lots of people who had lived their entire lives on the island and had hoped to stay there until the end. Southern Harbor House is now making that possible. I'm Diane Atwood, and you're listening to Conversations About Aging. I'm traveling the state of Maine, interviewing people 60 and older about their perspectives on aging. In this episode, I talk with a woman who has returned home to North Haven to live out the rest of her life. She has a chronic lung condition and relies on oxygen from a machine for her every breath. When she heard about Southern Harbor House, she knew it would be perfect for her when the time came. That time is now. But don't think that serious health issues stand in the way of her continuing to enjoy life on her beloved island. Not for one minute. She's had quite a life, and it's not over yet. I am Cecilia Joanne Santee better known as CJ or Joanne or Cease. I've moved 74 times in my life. I started off here on the island and now I'm back here on the island. I've moved all over the United States and met a lot of wonderful people. And every place I go, my name is different. That's the reason why I say Cecilia, Joanne, Santi, or CJ. What do you want us to call you? Joanne. My dad was a job hopper. We left here when I was about seven, and and then my husband was an engineer. We have five children, and so between the two, we were always on the move somewhere. And when I married my husband, to me that was normal to move like that. So I didn't think much about it, but in the 70s, my poor children didn't know where they were from, <laughs> and so we bought my great aunt's house here on the island so that at least they'd at least have one little spot that was regular. And, um, and we just, I'd just come up in the summers with the children. And then um, with my children and several others, I'd usually come with seven or eight kids with me and spend the summer. And then in the 80s, late 80s, he was at three, my husband was at Three Mile Island and charged the money into the cleanup there. And it was such a political job. And he was, when I went home in the summer, at the end of the summer with my children to start school, I just got back and he told me he quit. What? He said, I quit. And took our retirement money and we came up here and built a grocery store on the island. He didn't even carve the Thanksgiving turkey, or I was just a homemaker with five children. We knew zip. Thank goodness he was my best friend beside me and my husband, because <laughs> I could write a whole story on that. And we had it for 13 years, we couldn't get rid of it. But Beck told the company he worked for, wanted him back, and through that whole year, they kept on him about coming back, that we were building this thing. And before you know it, he had hired back on, and they transferred him to Houston. And we tried hiring managers to come and manage the store because we couldn't get rid of it because it wasn't making any money. And they almost bankrupted us twice. Oh my goodness. And finally, they transferred him back to Maryland so I could sort of 
go back and forth a little bit. And all this time we're coming Maine, you know, and, the, and uh, they end up making him a vice president. He was head of the East Coast. Hmm. And we thought maybe we could sell it and maybe make five cents and get rid of it. And he had a brain aneurysm and he didn't make it. 54 years old, never sick a day in his life. We were going to meet in Scranton at my oldest daughter's because she was having her first baby. So I'm at the store, can't wait to get out. He went with my middle daughter. They went to his mother's in Ohio for the weekend for Labor Day. Mm -hmm. And they were over there and the phone rang at the store. And they said he, I didn't even know what a brain aneurysm was. He had a brain aneurysm. And I had to get there to sign papers and stuff and trying to get it to a Southern Ohio from here. I was on every mode of transportation except a horse, I think, trying to get there. Oh my God. I mean, I didn't get there till like 11 o'clock that night. And uh, he's in Ohio. And he opened his eyes, he saw me, and he went, and that was the last thing, went into a coma, and I never, until he died on New Year's. They did seven different procedures to his brain. He was in. He was in every kind of, and he had these, these infections they couldn't get rid of. But they helicoptered him from, after a week at, in Ohio, they helicoptered him from there to Washington Hospital Center in Washington, D.C. And that was 35 minutes from the house, from my house. Mm -hmm. So every day I drove that beltway around Washington, D.C. every single day. For those three months, back and forth around that beltway. And you know who Howard Stern is? Well, I try to listen to something on the radio, and everything I listen to would make me cry. So here I am driving around this thing every day, and I turned stations and I'd hear this guy saying this god really god-awful stuff. I was like, what did he say? And I turned it back. I'm like, what? And I wanted to just jump through the phone and strangle him. <laughs> And I found, wait a minute, for a second, it took my mind off it. So I listened to him every day. During that time, did you have the hope that he would come out of the coma and he would they be fine? Him. Yes. Because they told you that that yeah, might happen? This is all part of, um, I was his advocate. And uh, if, if you're ready to talk about that, I would talk about that. Why don't we talk about that? Because that... To me, it seems like that was the most powerful event of your entire existence. It has of my entire life, that was, absolutely. Uh, when, they, when they flew in there and I got there, I realized over those three months how thankful I was that we were in Washington, D.C. If we had been two blocks out of Washington, D.C., um, into Maryland, they would have, I never ever could have signed the papers I had to sign to let him go. I never could have done it. It could do it in Washington, D.C., not in Maryland. And they would have put him into a nursing home in that condition forever. I found out so, all of these things as I'm going through it because we hadn't ever signed anything. And they kept saying, they gave him, they gave him a trick in Ohio, they gave him a trach. I said at the time, what happens with that trach? Can you take that trach out? And they said, oh yeah, as soon as he comes to. Well, he never came to. So you can't take it out. So I want it tattooed right here, do not enter. <laughs> on your own neck. <laughs> on my own neck. <laughs> so we went through all those months that they would, this doctor would come in, that doctor would come in, they would be, Let's try this. Let's try that. Uh, seven different procedures to his brain. Had you and your husband ever talked about the what Absolutely. ifs? Absolutely. We talked about stuff. I mean, he was always funny, though. He wanted to be cremated and flushed. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, he was that kind of a guy. So he would tell you what he wanted, but then he would try to gloss over it with yeah, humor. Yeah, but we never, you know, there was never anything ever written. When it got... After he'd seen so many doctors, they moved him to a rehab and moved him back, and he was in a private room, and uh, uh, just, it was just awful. 
I wanted to get the doctors together to talk to them. You can never do what I did. I got all 17 of those people with the nurses to sit around a table. It took me a while to do it, but I did it. I got them all there. And I had a picture of him and myself at the top of a mountain down in St. John the Caribbean that it was just been taken a few months before. And I passed it around. I said, I want you to all look at that picture. Just so you know, that is Larry Santee, not the person that's in there. Mm -hmm. And I just want somebody, one of you, to please tell me that there's some chance that some person like that is going to be back to me. Every one of them looked down. One neurologist looked me straight in the eye. And he said, Ms. Santee, what you see is as good as it's going to get, and it's going to get worse. And that was what pushed me over the edge to say, and I'm Catholic, and I had the priest, Stephen, and he said, you know, years ago, there used to be the ethical issues were easy, but he said, now, with the modern medicine, they can keep you going no matter what. Those ethical issues are getting harder and harder and harder. And that's what was happening with your husband, Larry, that he was being kept alive by yes. a machine? Yes, yes. That's the only way he was in. He was in a coma and being kept alive with the machine. So I told my five children, I got them together, and I said, look, I told you in the beginning when this, when they put that trach in, that anything, any final decision is going to be mine. You'd have no voice in it mm -hmm. because you would get, none of you were going to agree and it'll be, you'll be fighting forever your whole life over it. I said, you'll get mad at me, but you'll get over it. So I made that final decision to let him go. And by letting it go, by letting him go, you mean you pull the plug on the ventilator? Is that they just shut it off? Is that how it works? Yes. And um, it was 10 days. Before you made... No, before he passed. So it got shut off, and it took 10 days for him to pass away. Yes. And was your family, were all the kids there with him and you? Um, not all of them could. They were there as much as they could, but everybody lived. I mean, count my, two of my kids were up in Maine. One's in Pennsylvania. Uh, it yeah. was hard. So how did they react to what your decision was? As I'd hoped they would. Totally, even though they were sad about it, a couple of them didn't want to do it, but totally supported me in my decision. And I was, I couldn't be any more grateful than, than that. You, know? you, you make me want to cry, <laughs> actually. I feel like I want to just... It was no, awful. No, with, you have no idea how long it's going to be. You have no idea how long it's going to be. And he, uh, when, he, when he passed, he looked up, opened his eyes, and smiled. And I swear, he, something up there. Anyway, that's when I made up my mind that I had got to see a lawyer and get something written right away because I never wanted to put my kids through that with me. Ever. So that was 23 years ago, yep. and here you are now, back on North Haven. Starting my life here and ending my life here. That's the way, in a way, that's how I look at it. Like I started my life here and I'll end my life here. You said that you lived here on the island, yes. though, until you were seven. Yes. Why did your family move off the island? Very good question. I <laughs> started this crazy life. I mean, it. we were... Uh, we lived in a hotel in in um, in Virginia. My dad had worked on the railroad for a while. We went to um, outside of Richmond, Virginia, and lived uh, like tenant farmers with my dad's brother, who was a lawyer. But my dad was a tenant farmer. He always considered himself the black sheep of the family, and uh, he wasn't, but he considered himself that. And that can cloud. That did cloud it. It clouded a lot in our lives. So, anyway, and then what he, he went from there to 
we went up to Pennsylvania and I don't know what he was doing first there but then he got a job in a power plant we moved there so we were always moving always having to move and so at what point did you leave the family and become an independent young woman well when I was nine you left the family when no. you were nine when I was nine I decided it was going to be different for me so I started with a little wagon dragging it and I'd go and pick up get newspapers and bottles and take them to the recycling center and I put the money in a bank account because nobody could pay for my college and I decided I was going to college. So I started saving my money and my dad was so strict I couldn't go anywhere so I might as well babysit or whatever so I'd babysit and put all that money in. And so I was able to put myself, they didn't have, in those days there was no student loan until the sec my second year in college was the first student loan that came out. And so you paid for your schooling. And uh, so I paid for my first year. And then I came up here and worked in the summer so I could try to pay for the, help pay for the second year. And um, then I got a little bit of a student loan because that was the first time they'd offered it. And then I worked at the, in but that was it. It was just, I went to college. I was gonna be a vet. And you didn't become a vet. I did not. I became a mother with, with I became a mother with five kids instead of that. I did teach school for a while, taught third and fourth grade. Um, but the second year, uh, well, I met my husband, and we ended up running off and getting married, and um, spent 34 years with my best friend. Nice. And then, uh, so it was um, when he, um, he, and he and I, even though we were from totally different backgrounds in mm -hmm. some ways, um, we were also kind of similar a little bit. And he was went to work during the day and went to night school. And um, we, he was 30 before graduated. And he did real well, but it took him a while to, for him to settle down, which was to kind of mature a little bit. So I don't think kids have to go to school right out of high school. You said that you came back here and worked in the summertime. So mm -hmm. even though your family left the island when you were about seven. We always seven. came back. One thing I can say about my family, even though my dad was had a lot of problems, uh, my mother had been from here. And um, we would, they would, daddy would save the money up that every year, every other year, we would come one year to Maine to see these grandparents and the other year to Tennessee to his parents. So we always had the family connections. Um, that never went away. And so that's one really good thing that he, they instilled in us and all of us was this family connection. There's six of us. We're scattered all over, but we still talk to each other all the time. And this is where your roots are. Yes. I had a family, before I left here six years ago, I had a family reunion here on the island, had 54 people show up. We had a blast. We did, uh, I set it up for the week that we had a, I did a bus ride with a tour around the island, had a big lobster bake. They had to do a, they had, they had a variety show. They all had to perform in the variety show. I set all this stuff up before they came. That's funny. So, and we had lobster boats. I had two lobster boats to take them all out lobstering. and. It was so cool. Got to Grange Hall and a couple of people to make big lasagna, so we had just a big dinner over there. And it was just so fun. It was so, so much fun. And some of the family hadn't been here maybe for years and years? Years and years and years. And their, their children had, had never been here. And coming from a long way away across the United States, you know, all the way from, you know, state of Washington and California and... It was really nice um, that they all came. So you're quite the party planner, too. Well, I worked as a activity director in Florida. It's a whole different story. After my husband died, I didn't know what to do. I had a house in Maryland, bills over my head. And so I came up, back up, and put more money into the store, which I never should have done. And 
I didn't realize it was in a depression. I didn't even realize what it was, but I was not coming out of my house. I wasn't talking to anybody. That's not like me. And uh, so I, I was, I watched a movie, the end of it called Over the Hill with Olympia Dukakis. And I thought, I want to see that whole movie. And it was about this older lady that husband had died. And it took place in Maine. And she moved, they moved her in with her kids. And you, you find out her daughter is in Australia and you find out that she and her daughter had problems. But it's on her birthday and her son that she's living with brings her birthday cake in her apartment. She took it outside, threw it out in the yard and went and got on the plane and flew to Australia. And she got there and her daughter was not thrilled. So she ended up buying an, a 64 Chevy, and she went on an adventure, and it was about her adventure through Australia. I love that movie. I watched it over and over again, called Over the Hill. So that inspired you to do yes. what? So that inspired me to do something really different, and I didn't tell the kids I was doing it. and. Um, Part of the story, when my husband was dying in the hospital, I met this lady. And she, she and I got to be kind of friends at the hospital because we were both there for three months, every day, all day. And come to find out, and our husbands end up dying within an hour of each other on New Year's. We both end up having four girls and a boy, both of us. Our anniversaries were even same day, same year. But she was a lawyer and he was, and he was a doctor. And she had a, 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 a condo down in Naples, Florida. And I had been down to see her after her husband died. And she wanted me to come down and spend the winter with her. Mm -hmm. But I, a week or two was okay, but company can be like fish, you know, after three days. So I was like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. But I decided I'm gonna go down there and see if I can find somewhere to buy a, little trailer or something to just be down there for the winter. So I went down and started looking around. I didn't even tell the kids what I was going to do. I just said I was going down to Florida for a week. And I started looking around and I found this trailer. I'd never lived in a trailer in my life. It was a, what do they call them? They go up above the car that you put them up over a yeah. truck, the, the kind that goes up over a truck. I didn't, and, um, and then I tried to find a place to put it. So <laughs> I found this Kaway campground and I went and looked at it and I thought well that'll be okay I'll put it in here and I found the price and so I had them pull it there in October they were supposed to bring it over and I was going to go down so when I I thought I'd look for a job there and I knew I just had the store so I went into the office and said to the lady at the office I said when I get down here if you ever need me to work in the little store, I might be able to help out. So when I got back to Maine, I got back here, and the phone rang, and it was this lady, and she's like, how would you, I was looking at your resume, how would you like to be an activity director? Well, I'd done a lot of crazy things. I directed plays and The Wizard of Oz, and done a lot of crazy, stupid things, and I had five kids, and I taught school third and fourth grade. So, I said, what do you do as an activity director? She said, oh, you shop a little and plan a few things. You shop till you drop and plan till you flop. That's what you do as an activity director. But they pulled me out of my depression. I went down and did that job. I couldn't even believe I got paid for it. I wanted to pay them. I loved my job. And they'd go along with anything I was planning. I mean from having 80-year-old ladies doing cheers and cheerleading and all this cra crazy stuff. How did your kids react when they realized what you were doing? When they came down, they were thrilled when they saw how happy I was. They were all thrilled. Because they probably were so worried about how you were going to be able to keep going. Right, they were. But you know, a man from right here on the island 
fact, he was here yesterday for coffee. Um, his name is George Silverman. And when I was trying to figure out what to do with that store, what to do, and I knew things just weren't right, and trying to decide if I was going to sell it, not sell it, and I worried about the people in the winter here, what are they going to do without a store, and uh, I, uh, so I was trying to decide, and he knew that. He went home, he lived in Portland, he'd gone home, but in October he came back to the island, and he came in the store, and he, I was cleaning shelves, and he saw me, and he said, Joanne, what are you going to do? And I said, oh, George, I don't know. I said, I love this place. And he gave me a statement that I have never forgotten that I pass on to people. He said to me, somebody told me years ago, I'll pass it on to you. Don't ever love something that can't love you back. That is a really profound statement. And that is what absolutely clicked for me. That So I ended up selling the place 100000 under the appraised value. I didn't get crap out of it. Um, but I sold it to one of my employees and left. And so in this campground that you yeah. were staying at, it was for older people? It was a campground that half of it, because of in the winter time, half of it were people at seasonals that came. Their families would bring them down and drop them off for the winter and then leave them and go home, and then I was in charge of taking care of them. The other half of the campground were people coming in and out with their big trailers. And I was supposed to keep peace between those two factions. And um, it was fun. I had a great time doing it. And uh, then they got a new, uh, they were changing everything, and they wanted me to be a fundraiser for them. And I was like, gag me. And uh, I had a few problems, so at that time with family. So I quit it and came back up here. How long did you do that? Two and a half years. And you decided to come back here, or did you decide to shuffle? No, what I ended up doing then, I had uh, my very best friend in the whole world, and she and I, <laughs> we, after that we did this adventure. Oh, I'll tell you about the adventure. Um, I came back. I came back up to the island and I called my friend, the, she lives in West Virginia, and I said, I just found a 1987 Ford at Conaline camper van, and it had 87,000 miles on it, it was $3,000, I said, Elaine, I'm buying it, and we're going to go on an adventure, because our husbands, we always, the four of us always travel together, and both of our husbands have died, and we always wanted to go. I wanted to see Mount Rushmore, and I'd always wanted to be to Yellowstone. And my friend Elaine likes really nice, fancy things. She really does. She likes the fancy, fancy things. This was as far from fancy as you could get. We uh, I put the sign in the back that said, Ladies and the Tramps on a Great Adventure. We were stopped by the ATF. We were, <laughs> we were, <laughs> we'd break down, we took all back roads, and we went. We went from August until October, and went all the way up to, if we saw a place we liked it, we'd stop, and then um, down through Yellowstone, back across the United States, and ended up selling that thing for almost what I paid for it when I got back. But we had such a phenomenal adventure, and then she has a condo down in... Um, down in Florida, in Homosassa, Florida. That's where I just came from. And she needed somebody to help her um, get that place redone. So I was the, went and worked on the kitchen and stuff because I love refinishing houses. So after I did that after that. You had your adventure. You took turns driving this no, big thing? No, I did the entire driving. And she was she just the queen in the back? She sat on the side. And if I could tell you that uh, this true true story, I mean true story. She was she's such a good friend and good uh, sport. This thing, have you ever just one of those that has the bed up over the top, and then you have the couch in the back makes into a bed. And so one of us was going to take both because we're friends, but we're not that kind of friends, you know. So 
Um, anyway, I, one of us was going to sleep up here, and the other one was going to sleep on the couch in the back. And we both had Shih Tzus, little Shih Tzu dogs. That's where the ladies and the tramps came from. So we um, first night after I got down there and picked her up in West Virginia, and we start across. We're still in Pennsylvania. We get all the way across Pennsylvania to our first campground. First stop, neither one of us could get in that bed up here. Neither one of us could bend to get in it. <laughs> you hadn't tried it out first to see if you could make no. it? No. <laughs> so, because she's in West Virginia and I'm here. I mean, I... Uh, so what did the dog slept up there and you ended no, up? So what I did, I went and bought. Uh, I got we got a well we had a cooler. I put a cooler between the seats in the front, and then went and got one of those mattresses like you put on a on a chaise lounge, and put that between and use what we must have looked like in these campgrounds. Was we stayed mostly in KOAs, and I like towels in the windows of this thing, so that it was blocked in up front, and that's where I slept the entire time, and she slept in the back. That is such a funny story. <laughs> she took all the pictures. And I have it on a video. I mean, I've, I've got it on a video. Uh, so it's a it's a great, fun adventure. I mean, we got... There was so many... So much was so great. So much of it was great. I mean, I, I can't even describe... In fact, she's done a lot more traveling than I have because she's a lot more money than I have. But she still says... And I know she's not lying... That it's been the best trip of, of her entire life, except for when she went to, she puts it right up there as when she went to Greece. But that this trip was just, you know, because it was so different for her. So totally different. And she did all the filming. And it was right after I got on this oxygen. And I wasn't supposed to go up these mountains, but I did. And um, I drove up those mountains with that thing, and I hit... I had, oh, it was so good. I couldn't do it now. I couldn't do it now. And then the apartment got to be, I went and stayed with her in her two-bedroom apartment. She had a two-bedroom down there. So I stayed with her. But the steps got to be, because this was getting much worse. Well, so... So I, I said, I've got to find my own place. But I'm thinking, how that, that wasn't that long ago, no, was it? about five years ago. All right, so you took your adventure was about five or six years ago, and by then you were on oxygen. You're on oxygen full yeah. time. The noise that we hear in the background. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I tried to get me to go on it for. I, mean, I was diagnosed with this COPD about 25 years ago before my husband died, and uh, but I fought it and fought it. The oxygen, and it just finally got to the point I had to go on it because it's one of those. Diseases, but before in the beginning, did you have to be on oxygen intermittently, or you just fought it all I didn't. together? I fought it all together, and then uh, right before we went on this uh, adventure cross country, um, I finally said, "Okay, all right, okay." Well, it must have been so hard for you to breathe in certain circumstances. That but must have I been wasn't a little frightening. Using it all the time, then I was just using it. In certain times, what I had to, but it wasn't as much as it is now. Now I have to just totally be on it. But also, uh, it got to be hard for me to go up and down stairs. So then I bought the house in Florida, and I bought a um, in a 55 and up community down there, and I loved it. I loved it down there. Um, there was they had a great little clubhouse and a lot of friends there. And but in June of this year. Uh, I had been talking to Lindsay about maybe next year because I was getting having to have more and more help at the house, at my house. But my kids came down, wanted me to get out of there for hurricane season this year. So my oldest daughter wanted me to go stay with her. And finally I said, okay, because in case the power went out, they worry about me down there. So I was like, okay, all right, I'll come stay with you. So she was going to come down. She came down to ride up with me and then was going to bring me up here to the island for a week or two. And she got down there. She went to see my doctors and they said a couple more things that I wish they hadn't said. And so the next thing I know, when we left, we stopped at my son's in, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And they got had this phone call with all the children. And they about all you. about me, and they told me 
Mom, we want you to go in the assisted living up here on the island. Well, if I have to go somewhere, I mean, this would be the place to go. But I had no intentions when I left Florida. This was not what I was doing. So I hadn't even said goodbye to anybody. So this has been quite the... But now, you know, now that I'm here... I mean, this place is fabulous. I mean, you know, I tell people, like, well, how do you like it up there? I'd say, oh, it's, it's fabulous. Do I want to be there? Hell no. Sorry. Uh, but... But if I've got to be somewhere, this is a wonderful place to be. What was it like for you, though, to have your kids tried to do an intervention on you before, so they're not like sit back and let things roll, aren't they? No, they they aren't. They aren't. But what was it like for you to suddenly have the kids kind of, in a gentle, loving way, gang up on you? I went back to thinking about my grandfather and here on the island and how at the very end he's... they were trying to help him by moving him around with them, with my sister, my mother and their sister and uncle, and how they ended up almost like resenting the person they were going to help. Mm-hmm. And I did not want that for my kids. I didn't want to be a happen to be a, a burden for them because I don't know if I'm going to die next year or when I'm 95. I mean, I, I have no idea how long this is going to be. And I know how strong-willed I am. I am pretty strong-willed. I know that. And I, my brain, I can't stop it. I, I wish I could. My husband would say to me, doesn't your brain ever just go into neutral? I'd be like, no. Um, because I've always got an idea. I've always got an idea. And the kids think it's, I'm trying to rule them. And I'm not at all. I don't mean it that way. I just see something. I'll say, hey, have you ever thought about doing, you know, instead of going, but the tables were turned this time because what they were suggesting is, in a way, overruling what you might want to have done with your life next. There must be some part of you that knew, I have got to do something because I'm I having... That's right. I talked to Lindsay last year because I could see that um, like it, making my bed was taking me uh, an hour and a half to two hours. I could tell that getting my groceries, I had somebody go with me because it was getting to be harder for me to carry them in. Um, it was things to do like that. And um, them being forgetful, that worried me a little bit because I didn't want to do something that was going to be dangerous, mm-hmm. you know. And So all of those things I knew were little issues that, yes, I could have moved in with my kids, but they all work. I mean, you know, I mean, why would I do that to them? Then they'd have to hire somebody to come in to watch me during the... Because you still needed help, even if you were there. What made you get in touch with Lindsay in the first place? What was it about this place that you're living in now, Harbor House? Before I went to Florida, they were just in the midst of talking about this. And uh, Mary White was had just donated this, and they were talking about it, and they had a meeting in town. And I went. And um, I just put up my hand and I said, well, when I get ready, sign me up now. Sign me up then because it sounds like a great place to me. Because um, I, I kind of knew I didn't want to be a burden with them. I mean, I think I've always kind of known that. Um, it, it, aging, we all do it. We, I'm reading this book, this one. That piece. I don't know if you, I have to put it down and pick it up because it is the most depressing book. Oh my God. Is it about making peace with? A palliative care. This which I've found out that I didn't even know what that was. You know what it is probably. So is that what I'm you. I'm very much into that. What made you understand that the way you're living your life now is considered palliative care? I didn't until I read that book. I didn't know what it was called. I never what knew is, what it was called. I just knew that. I knew that um, certain things with your body that happens when you get old, and if you fix one thing, something else is going to go wrong. I knew that just from being a person. I think just growing up and watching the elderly and working with the people I worked with down at KOA and all that, but just seeing seeing people when they kind of lose their memories a little bit and everything, and I. But for you, and I, I'm, 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 I believe in God. I tried to lead a 
I've tried to lead a, a good life. I've tried to be to follow the commandments. Um, not that I haven't made mistakes. I've tried to be nice to everybody, and so I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of dying. Um, do I want to die? No, but I'm not. It doesn't scare me like it does a lot of people, as I know that there's something else, and I just know what in my heart. So you're 78. I'll you're still 78. in your. Yeah, I'll be still seven, in your yeah. 70s. Yeah. Um, it's the COPD that has kind of determined yes, the trajectory has, of your has. life this last. Yeah, years. right. The COPD is really ruling me. And I could tell when I went back from here last year, because I was up here for two months last mm -hmm. year. And when I went back, I could tell that there was a difference, I mean, in the breathing. I could just, I could just tell. Mm -hmm. And um, it might stay like this now for a couple of three years. And, and that will be gonna fine. And going to make another one. It's fine with me. Because I'm still doing, see, I, I started a little before I left here. After I sold the store and did that all that down there, I started a little tour business here on the island. I call it Joanne's Tiny Tours. And uh, it was more fun than you could imagine. <laughs> I, I, how many times have you said that now? I had the best time. It was the most fun. Yeah, you really I, get enjoyment out of things. I do get enjoyment out of things. When, when you do something that you really, it's, it's funny. I, it's funny how I, I don't know, a way I approach things, I guess, a little different, but. I, everybody, don't you get tired of riding around the island? No. Are you uh, still trying to do it? I still do it. How do you do it? Well, it, word of mouth now. I mean, it's like, and I don't even care if I get paid. I mean, I don't care if I get paid. I just like doing it. I, um, I'll just run into people, and they're trying to, they've never been here before, walking or whatever. You wouldn't be surprised how many people I've run into that just... What, do you want to see the island? Oh, we'd love to see the island. Want to know about it. Because I do historical tours about the history. And uh, I t and some, sometimes when I was doing it really to make money, sometimes they would take people clamming and take clams with them or take the children down to go under the, you know, under the to, to show them what's under the seaweed and all that. What are your favorite things on the island? Well, when I was in labor... I went, in my head, I would always go up to Big Beach at Mullins Head at our park. And uh, that's where I stayed at labor. I mean, I, like I said, it's 28 miles of road here. And as many times as I've driven around it, I never, ever get tired of it. And I've traveled, not everywhere, but I've done a fair amount of travel. And I've been to Italy and Spain and Canada and and out to Hawaii and um, and on that Caribbean cruise and different things. And this is still one of the most beautiful, East, East Tennessee. And I said, you know, two of the most beautiful places I've ever been was still East Tennessee and here. Oh, my darn. It's beautiful. When you take people on tours now, do you still drive your car? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So just because you're hooked up to oxygen doesn't mean that you are suddenly not able to get around. No, no, no. I have my, I've got my portable oxygen. It plugs in in the car. And uh, so I plug it in in the car and off I go. And I do fine. You know, I can't get out and walk down the beach like I used to very well because of the, uh, just walking up and down those hills. It's too much for you. Yeah, a little too much. But uh, I am going to try it. I'm going to try to go down to Big Beach this week if I take somebody with me. I've got to have somebody with me to go, but... I'm going to try to do it. Now that you're older, yeah. now that you're 78, yeah. do people treat you any differently as an older person? Do you ever notice? They do. And in some, in some, you see, I'm trying not to let them. I'm trying my hardest not to let them. And, uh, it made me feel so good when I was down at the Waterman Center about a month ago. And this young man, because I've always loved kids. I love kids. I love to talk to them. And this young man, who's about 11, that age, he's with all of his friends down there. And he saw me in there. And most times the kids will just go walk about out the door. He saw me and he walked over to say hello. 
And when he did, all of his friends came. And they stood there and talked to me for at least 20 minutes. It was so cool. That's what I think is hard. That's what I would like to see happen in here is somehow that we're involved with the school. Because to me, the biggest thing with the seniors is that as you get older, you need to have that camaraderie between the older people and the children. In most cultures, except here, the older people are revered. And you live in the homes with the with the children and the grandchildren, almost every culture except ours. But we started, and this is my own thought on this, back when my kids were, when we started this moving around and putting kids in daycares, we started a whole generation of teaching kids. You put people somewhere. That's what you do. You take your children, you put them somewhere. So now that's a learned thing after 30, 40 years. So now, when those children get older, then you put people somewhere. So you put your parents somewhere. They're not being mean. It's just what they know. That's what they know. But more and more, older and it's people... Getting, it's getting more and more. And the, so each one, the older people don't get to know the young people. And the young people... Like, so, so many children are afraid of this. Right now, the little... The 11-year-old who came up and said hello to you, you were wearing your oxygen? Oh, of course. And did any of the kids ask you what's that? I immediately told them what that was. I mean, that's what I, if I can see a little one that looks at this, I because I know how scary that must be for them. And so I'll tell them, I'll take it off like that and I'll go, it's oxygen and it's how I breathe, you know. And I, with older people, I'll go, now I know what up your nose with a rubber hose meant. <laughs> You're pretty irreverent. <laughs> I am irreverent. <laughs> but. So people do sometimes treat you differently. Are they a little more, you know, not condescending, but. Yeah, they don't think you know a lot. Why is it? That that drives me crazy. They make this assumption that because you're older, you don't know as much as they do mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. I don't know who knows why that is, but I think that part of it goes back to that, that we're not interacting with the kids that, enough that they feel comfortable with it, you know. I mean, they don't go as much to see the grandparents as they used to. Some here on the island do, because the island is protected from that some, a little bit. Because there's so many generations living here on a, in yes, a small space, right, basically. Right, right. I'm curious, what makes it a good day for you? <laughs> Meeting with somebody that I can, you know, like I met a couple the other day on the road that's going to be calling me from Owl's Head. And meeting people that I've never met before and chatting with them about their lives and stuff. Yeah, I think that makes a good day for me. And knowing that my grandchildren are, are okay. Do you ever get lonely? Yes. Like I said this morning to somebody, I said, oh man, I wish I had a man in my life. She asked me what she wanted on, what I wanted on the menu, what I wanted. <laughs> I said, she wants a man. Not just, I mean, I don't just want anybody, just somebody to hug, you know what I mean? But every time I've met somebody, I compare them, or the ones that are really nice are married, and I would never, ever, ever go there. But, uh, I don't know, just, but I've got kids that stop by here. My one daughter stops by every day. The other one calls me here every day. I mean, I've got family, you know, and one of my middle daughter is coming Wednesday. This is one thing I've been doing. It's more fun than you could ever know. I was given this hat because it's the blessing of the fleet. Um, what they do is when the lobstermen start off, they have a, a doctor that's here that's also a, a minister. He does this blessing of the fleet. And I used to love to go, but I just can't do it anymore. So somebody brought me the hat. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get all the lobstermen to sign my hat. <laughs> so these are all the lobstermen. And they can't wait to sign it. 
which is so cool. Um, oh, Joanne, let me see you're hot. You know, so it, it, I've got, I think, I think I only have about six more to go. And then you'll have them all. And I'll have them all. So now people are saying to me, can you have that? Can you make copies of that so we could, or they want to auction it off? So you're not auctioning off my hat. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you, any you know, important message you want to impart? Yes. Anything in advice? Any lesson learned that you think might benefit somebody else who's that's getting older? Getting older, or somebody who's younger? <laughs> Try to do it gracefully, and uh, if you're older. Try to find something to still have fun. Like, I'm going to try to teach bridge this winter, see if I can get some of that going. Um, trying to find, I mean, I know myself, I'm very hyper, and I need to get something going. And uh, encourage, encourage your grandkids. Encourage your grandkids. Like, I have things hanging here in my room, you can't see that, but... I'm kind of surrounded by my grandchildren, and I, I told um, my young, my one that lives here, one of the ones that lives here on the island, uh, that I wanted something to hang up from her. And uh, after we, she painted me on a guitar, basically. Um, to me, that's that's the joy kind of things you can get is trying to encourage that kind of stuff. So, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, I, I, I was, I told her, I said, if there's any cameras, I am not interested, but you know, I don't mind just sitting and talking about it. So you've had a good time? Yes, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank yeah. you. You've been listening to Conversations About Aging, a Catching Health special series. I'm Diane Atwood, and I've been talking with Joanne Santee, who's 78 years old and lives at Southern Harbor House, a beautiful extended care facility on North Haven Island, off the coast of Rockland, Maine. If you have anything to say about our conversation or any of my other conversations about aging, please let me know. Something resonated with you, constructive criticism, you want to recommend someone to be interviewed, or you'd like to be a podcast sponsor, whatever. I want this podcast to make a difference in people's lives. If you're listening on a podcast app, write a review. If you're on the Catching Health blog, write a comment. Or send me an email, diane at dianeatwood.com. You'll find pictures of Joanne, a written transcript of our interview, more information about Southern Harbor House, and other conversations about aging at catchinghealth.com. This podcast was made possible by Avita of Stroudwater, a memory care facility, and Stroudwater Lodge, an assisted living community, both in Westbrook, Maine. You'll find out more about them at northbridgecos.com. Many thanks to Smith Atwood Video Services for editing the podcast. See what else they have to offer at smithatwood.com. And a thank you to Tom Muser for his support. He's director of the Center for Excellence in Aging and Health at the University of New England. <laughs>